In a world of approximately 153 million orphans and vulnerable children, the church is uniquely called and equipped to care for these. Having received the love of God and having been adopted by grace into his family, we are now to reflect that love to others, particularly to those who are weak and vulnerable. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's sermon based on 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, David Platt encourages us to consider how God, whether through adoption or through a variety of other ways, might be leading us to care for orphans. Here's David Platt with a sermon titled, the Father's love and the fatherless. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, there's somebody around you that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and while you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in Loudoun and Prince William and Montgomery County and on Main Avenue and Different place across Washington. It's good to be together around God's word. Before we dive into the word and an emphasis on orphans and vulnerable children, specifically, I want to pause on this Veterans Day weekend and say to the many men and women across this church who have served or are even serving now in our armed forces. Obviously, Veterans Day, a recognition of those who have served, but I I know that this congregation across all our campuses is full of men and women who have uh, paid much price and are paying price daily to defend the freedoms uh, that we enjoy, to promote the freedoms we enjoy. And so for that reason, I want to ask those of you who have served as well as those of you who are serving both in this room here at Tyson's and at all of our campuses, I want to invite or ask you to stand and we want to thank God for his grace in you. So would you stand if you have served or are serving in our armed forces? thing bad about asking you to stand is we all want to stand in applauding for you, uh, just especially in light of a week like last week when we thought about our, our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. We, we are thankful for all you have done, all you are doing, and we want to honor you, especially those of you who are part of this church as, as your church family, but even those of you who may be visiting with us, thank you. We are uh, now nearing the end of a journey through the book of 1 John, so we have one more week after today, which means we have one more verse to go in our attempt to memorize 1 John chapter 1 together. So today, we're about to review 1 John 1, 1 through 9, so you might turn back to that, 1 John 1. Uh, So this is the final tune-up before the big day next week. So uh, I want us to say these nine verses together. If you don't have these memorized, feel free to read along with us in the Bible. Um, If you do have them memorized, then feel free to resist the temptation to look down. So 
Here we go, here and at other campuses, all together, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boom. Well done. Well done. All right. Nine verses down. One more to go. And what a great verse to memorize. 1 John 1, 9. God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's good news. That's worth hiding in your heart. So today, what I want us to do, much like we focused on the persecuted church last Sunday, along with many other churches, uh, today I want to lead us to focus on orphans and vulnerable children and what among many churches has become known as Orphan Sunday or Stand Sunday. So specifically, to think about how what we've seen in 1 John over the last nine weeks affects and directs our lives in a world where there are 153 million orphans. So hopefully you received a card when you came in uh, today here and other campuses. So stand Sunday at the top and you'll see that number at the top of the card, 153 million children, which means, so just a technical definition there, means they've lost at least one parent but included that number are about 18 million children who have lost both parents. Not included in that number, though, are millions of effectively orphaned children, many who live on the streets, many who, even if a parent or parents are alive, rarely, if ever, see that parent or experience life in a family. In short, only God knows how many children are without a family in the world right now. And not just in the world far from us, but right around us. So you see the number of children in foster care right now in the counties we live in on that sheet. Hundreds 
of them, children who are separated from their families right now without a stable permanent home or mom or dad. What I want to show you in God's word today, it's at the top of your notes if you received a bulletin when you came in. So we're just going to have both those. In the next few minutes, I want to show you that the church is uniquely created and called by God to care for orphans and vulnerable children. That's what I want to show you in God's word today. That the church is uniquely, unlike anything else in the world, created and called by God to care for orphans and vulnerable children. And in showing you this, I want you to see that God is calling us. McLean Bible Church and all of our congregations around Washington, D.C. to care for these children. And I want to start today by leading us to pray. And I want to ask you to pray with me that God would speak to our hearts in the next few minutes and he would show us, each of us, what part he wants us to play in caring for these children. So here's how I want to do that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask us in our different locations to bow our heads together. And if I could be so bold, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer out loud with me. This is a prayer Heather and I are praying coming into today. I want to challenge every follower of Christ, every member of this church in particular, to pray this as well. So in just a moment, here's the prayer I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Oh God, my Father, I will do whatever you call me to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. That's the prayer. Oh God, my Father, I will do whatever you call me to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. So to be clear, this is not you committing in this moment to adopt a child or to foster a child. This is committing in this moment to doing whatever God calls you to do to care for these children. Last week we talked about how in order to live you have to die. And today God is calling you and me to die to our plans for our lives and our families and to live with his plan for our lives and our families. And this is a prayer basically saying I'll do whatever you want me to do and that, that kind of plan in light of orphans and vulnerable children around me and around the world. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and I'm going to start praying and then I'm going to ask you in a minute to repeat after me if you'd be willing to pray that prayer before we open and listen to God's word. So let me, let me start. Oh, oh God, we are asking you right now to speak to our hearts all across Metro Washington, D.C. We are asking you to make clear to us what you want us to do individually, our families, and as a church family to care for orphans and vulnerable children right around us and all around the world. So we offer this prayer together to you right now. I invite you to repeat after me if you'd be willing to say this. Oh God, my Father, I will do whatever you call me to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
church, we are uniquely created, called by God to put that prayer into practice. So let me, let me show you this. Two simple truths, starting in 1 John and then resounding all over the Bible. Number one, we have received the love of God the Father. We have received the love of God the Father. So this is the passage we studied a few weeks ago. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So to be clear, this is not what we were. So if you keep going in your notes, there in your bulletin, we were separated from God by our sin. That is what we were. Spiritual orphans, so to speak. You know, it's interesting. When people start talking about adoption uh, or care for orphans, it can quickly become a romanticized, almost glamorized picture in people's minds of sweet, calm, cute children just waiting to be cared for. But that's actually not the picture we have in the Bible, at least of us in our sin, separated from God as spiritual orphans. Ephesians 2 describes us not as sweet, calm, or cute, but as rebellious sinners following Satan, the ruler of this world, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, living as objects of wrath. Russell Moore wrote an excellent book called Adopted for Life about adoption. He wrote this, imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and and attempting repeatedly to skin animals alive. He acts out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in on what that means. She continues with a little family history. This boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended their own lives. Think for a minute. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, wouldn't you watch nervously as he played with your other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the knife on the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on TV with your other kids with the lights out? Then more rights. Well, he's you and he's me. When we read 1 John 3, 1, we need to realize that we do not deserve this to be called children of God. Ephesians 2 calls us children of wrath like the rest of mankind, rebels against God with nothing in us, nothing in us to draw God to us. We were separated from God by our sin, deserving eternal separation from him forever. And God, in spite of our sin, chose to pursue us. Ephesians 1 Verse three and following says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Though there was nothing in us to draw God to us, brothers and sisters, we have been pursued and adopted by God as his children. God has pursued us, adopted us in our sinfulness against him. Let me remind you, adoption doesn't happen by accident. Like for Heather and I, we, in our family story, we didn't just show up one day in Kazakhstan or China by accident and think, huh, 
Maybe we should bring a child home. No, before Caleb or Mara were ever even born, we were working to adopt them. And anybody who's ever been through an adoption process knows nothing happens overnight. People describe it as a paperwork pregnancy, complete with home studies, getting fingerprinted by every government and civic organization in the entire country to make sure the Rotary Club has nothing against you. You need a, a physical with a clean, totally clean bill of health. I remember we were trying, with Caleb's adoption, we were trying to meet a deadline. And uh, so we need to get our physical in right before that. And if we missed this deadline, it was going to postpone us a long time. So it's like, all right, we got to ace the physical. So we get in there and uh, it comes to the eye exam part. And I still maintain that it was a dimly lit hallway. Um, but I was up first and I got one hand over an eye and I'm trying and I get through a couple lines, but then I am struggling like C, D, G, no C, G. I, and, uh, and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, I can't mess this up and postpone this whole thing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sweating. And the nurse could tell I'm a bit flustered. She was like, hey, sir, calm down. Why, why don't you just try the other eye? And so I was like, okay, good idea. The problem was I was so nervous. I was pressing down on this eye. And so I take my hand off of it and like everything's blurry. I can't see a thing in this eye. So I'm like, oh no. And she's like, sir. Why don't you just step aside, let your wife go. You kind of get things under control. So, so I do, I step aside and uh, I'm over here like doing this, trying to get my eyes back. And uh, while Heather goes and uh, well, while she goes, I'm kind of looking down with both eyes and uh, memorize the chart. <laughs> so I step back up, I'm like, oh yeah, ECG, we're like, Inside, I'm thinking, I could do this with both eyes closed. Like, I'm that good. <laughs> anyway, so you got you to meet all these qualifications. And then once you fill all that out, then you wait and you wait and you wait until I remember distinctly the day with both Caleb and Mara when we first received a picture of them with information about them. So this is uh, Proud Dad uh, thinking back to the day where I first saw Caleb. I think his picture will come up here on the screen. It's not me. There's a much cuter kid on the way up here. There he is. I, I remember where I was sitting when I first saw that picture. I first opened up that email. And similarly with Mara, our daughter from China. There she is. And it was, it was really neat on, on hers. There was actually a, 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 a team on a mission trip that actually went and was visiting her orphanage and, uh, and one of the team members was actually reading a radical book I wrote and so got a picture of her with, I think, reading uh, the book. Let's see if, there we go, yeah. <laughs> the, I'll tell you what the look on that face is. She just realized that the family who's adopting her is rebelling against the American dream and she's not necessarily sure she's positive about that. Uh, <laughs> So uh, anyway, we, we see these pictures and then we start the process of planning to go to them. We arrive in country, we go to visit them in totally traumatic, dramatic scenes. Traumatic in the sense that oh, I had a pretty romantic vision, I think, that that first meeting would look like, like a little child come running up, mommy, daddy, you came. Uh, not so much. Uh, Put yourself in the shoes of a one-year-old baby being taken from the only place you've ever known, placed in the arms of people you've never seen, speaking a language you've never heard, who look totally foreign to you. That's very traumatic and dramatic. I remember with Caleb, Heather and I going before a judge. I was all dressed up in suit and tie, so I do own one. Uh, 
one, uh, we had been thoroughly prepped on what would happen in the court proceedings. Heather had one main line that she was supposed to say at the very end. I looked over at her in that morning. She has a marker she's drawn on her hand. I'm like, what are you doing? She said, I'm writing down my line, so I'll make sure I get it right. I said, okay. We go to the courthouse. This day, 17 months in the making for us. The pressure was thick. We walk in with our interpreter. We take our seats. You have the judge, the prosecutor, other court officials in front of us around us. I stood when the judge asked me to. He asked me questions and answered. The prosecutor asked me questions I answered. Then Heather stood, basically had a couple of yes, no questions to answer at that point. But then the judge threw her a curveball. After she answered a couple of yes, no questions, she was supposed to sit back down, but she, the, the judge said, well, do you have anything to add? And the answer was supposed to be no. Uh, but I heard a pause and I look up at her face. She's panicked looking around. The prosecutor staring uh, right through her amidst the silence. And then so I saw my wife in a panic, just looked down at her hand and she starts reading her line. Uh, one time for the line, but she read it anyway. And the judge was like, you can sit down now. Uh, we moved on. Finally, we get to the end. I give a, I'm supposed to give a minute long speech, which I did. I know that's also hard for you to believe, but I give a minute long speech. Heather gave her line again and the judge made this pronouncement. We grant this application for adoption. This little boy in Kazakhstan now officially belongs to David and Heather Platt, he became our son. It was, it was awesome. And I, uh, I share all of that just to remind you, right where you're sitting, that the God of the universe has done this for you. <laughs> before you were born, before you were born, not 17 months in the making, before creation, God on high was pursuing you. That's what Ephesians 1 teaches and far more pursuing you than just going to the other side of the world. God crossed the borders and boundaries of all your sin. He came himself in Jesus, his son, and he laid down his life on a cross to adopt you as his child. You have, we have been adopted by God as his children. And it's not just something that happened in the past. This is a reality we experience like now. That judge's pronouncement in Kazakhstan, those papers we signed in China, were not the end of the story for Heather and me and Caleb and Mara. That was just the beginning of life together as a family where I get to pour out my love on these kids every day in every way I can. This is what it means to be adopted by God. Not just that he died for you. Jesus died for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. No, God lives to pour out his love on you today as your father. We, who were once separated from God by our sin, have been adopted by God as his children, all possible because of Jesus. So follow this. The gospel is the solution to our crisis. Meaning our greatest problem is that we are separated from God. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to God, and God has done it in the gospel. So if you are visiting with us today, if you are not a Christian, you're exploring Christianity, please hear this. This is the greatest news in the world. God loves you. Though you have sinned against God, we all have. You deserve separation from God. Like a spiritual orphan, God has pursued you. He's come to you in the person of Jesus. He's paid the price for all our sin against him. He has made the way for you to be adopted by him. So we invite you to receive, believe that love today in your life. You can become a child of God like today by faith in Jesus. I remember our interpreter in Kazakhstan with, with Caleb. So Kazakhstan, a country marked by Muslim mosques, cold orthodoxy, the remnants of atheistic Russian communism. On the first day we got there, our interpreter, who became a friend to us in this journey, found out I was a pastor. She was really smart, intellectual, 
and our first cab ride. Like she picks us up at the airport. She says, what do you do? I tell her I'm a pastor. She says, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God and I think God is for the weak. It's like, well, uh, again, what was your name? Uh, and uh, so we, we, this began numerous conversations over the next three or four weeks uh, as we sat at lunch, we'd just be hanging out in different ways. We would dialogue about faith in God. How do you know God exists? How do you know the God of the Bible is the one true God? How do you know Jesus is true? Why would I even need God? Why would I need Jesus? I remember one night after a late night conversation, Heather and I, after she left, we just fell on our face, just pleading for God to open her eyes to who he is and how much he loves her. We came to our last night. We're standing in the airport right before we're about to leave. Like we're about to go through security. And in those last moments of goodbye, she pulls me aside and she said, uh, David, I just want you to know that two nights ago, I decided to place my faith in Jesus. And she's got tears coming up her eyes. She, she said, I, I know there is a God and he loves me and I want to love him. It was an amazing moment. A few short minutes later, as we head toward the plane, like holding our new adopted child in our arms while we look back and wave goodbye to his adopted child in his arms. The gospel is the solution to our crisis. We have received the love of God the Father. So then, second simple truth flowing from this, here in 1 John and all over the Bible, we've received the love of God the Father, so we now reflect the love of God the Father. Receive Reflect. We've seen this over and over again in 1 John. Those who receive God's love reflect God's love. And this is what John camps out on in the rest of chapter 3, which we studied a few weeks ago. Look down at verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Then it's even clearer in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see it? Look, look in verse 16. Receive his love. He laid down his life for us. Reflect his love. We de- lay down our lives for others. Same thing we studied in chapter four. Look at chapter four, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Receive love, reflect love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We reflect his love because we've received his love. This is all over First John. It's Evident in the way we live. Look back at chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love, and not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So God's love in us, the picture's clear, it's all over 1 John, causes us to give in love out of our resources to others in need. So what is the need? Well, look around us and see right now, multitudes of children are separated from family and safety. So when you picture orphans and vulnerable children, picture separation from family and safety. So there are kids, just think in our counties right now, who want, who need a mom, dad, a home where they're safe. And there are kids who want and need that and don't have anyone willing to take them right now. And some of, some of them just need a night or two somewhere else. Some a week or two, some much longer. Many of whom have been neglected due to drug abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Thousands of kids in Virginia, Maryland, and the district right now fall into those categories right now. I know that at least in Virginia, over 850 of these children are waiting children. 
which means they are legally available for someone to adopt them right now. Uh, that's just Virginia. 850 kids in need of a home right now that are legally available for adoption. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know there are hundreds more in Maryland and in the district. In addition to kids far from here, one of the reasons we have been working in Ethiopia as a church over the last couple of years has been because of the orphan crisis there. Four to five million orphans and vulnerable children due to HIV AIDS, untreated illnesses, hunger, poverty, other causes that live on the streets. I, I stood in the middle of them like kids the age of my kids on the streets, on their own, scraping by. Many caught in child labor or sex trafficking rings orphanages not equipped to care for them. So we're talking multitudes of children here and around the world at this moment while we sit in these rooms who are separated from family and safety. And the reason we need to pause in First John and think about this reality is because, brothers and sisters in the church, we have been commanded and equipped by God to care for them. So I want us to feel this. God has commanded and equipped us to care for them. This is all over the Bible. Just take a quick journey. Commanded by God. This is who our Father is, our God is, the God we worship Psalm 68.5 is father of the fatherless. That's who God is in his holy habitation. Psalm 10.17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. This is who our God is. Deuteronomy 10.17, the Lord our God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial, takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless. So, it only makes sense for this God to say to his people in Isaiah chapter one, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. He tells his people, he commands them, bring justice to the fatherless. And it's not just Old Testament, Old Covenant command, New Testament, James 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans. Now that is a fascinating word there, visit. It's used 11 times in the New Testament, a few times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's not just to come and visit someone, like say hello to them and then kind of move on. It's deeper than that. It's to come to someone with a responsibility to care for them. This word is translated in different places in the Old Testament to talk about how God comes to us to save us, how Jesus came to us to redeem us. In Matthew chapter 25, at the end of uh, that, that, that chapter where Jesus is talking about, when I was poor in prison, you came to visit me. When you came to visit people in prison and care for them, you came to care for me. The whole picture is going to someone with a responsibility to provide and care for them. This is religion that God accepts. Just let this soak in. Religion that God accepts, this is his word. Religion that our God accepts is not good services with good songs and good sermons. It's not what James 1.27 says. It's when my people are visiting, caring for, taking responsibility for orphans. 
Like that's huge. We need to hear this word from God. It's interesting. That word has a couple of antonyms, opposites in the Greek. So the opposite would be to forget, to neglect, to ignore, to bypass or disregard. So, so not to visit is to neglect. What that means is inaction is action. If we do not act to care for orphans and vulnerable children, then we are acting to neglect orphans and vulnerable children. Which leads to the question then, what are we going to do in response to this word from God, brothers and sisters? Like, what are we gonna do as a church? Visit, care for, take responsibility for, or neglect, ignore, disregard, Multitudes of children separated from family and safety. We have been commanded by God and equipped. So this is the beauty. This is the beauty. This is not one size fits all. So I want to be clear. I would not say that every follower of Jesus in this church has been commanded to adopt a child. In fact, I would say that some of us definitely do not need to adopt a child. Likewise, I would not say that every follower of Jesus in our church has been commanded to foster a child. In fact, I would say some of us definitely do not need to foster a child. So I don't have a verse where I can go to that says everyone should adopt or foster, but I do have a verse. Like we have a verse. We have a whole book that makes clear that our God is father to the fatherless and he wants orphans and vulnerable children, every single one of them, to know his love and we all have a part to play in this. So let me just give you a picture from experience that I've walked through with a church before. Like we, I remember we were walking through church family I was a part of before coming here at James one. We call up the state department for foster care and adoption. Say, Hey, do you have any needs? And they just laughed. So of course we have needs. We have so many needs. And we asked how many families would it take to care for all the kids in our County to meet all the needs you have. And they laughed again. They said, I mean, that would take a lot. So just give me a number. And they said 150. So, we walked through the word. We had an informational meeting just said, who, who wants to help care for these 150 kids in our county? People start streaming in and that afternoon over 150 families said, we want to take care of every child in our county. And so families started fostering, but that was just the beginning because we realized real quickly those families needed help. So we started foster care support groups for those families. We mobilized, mobilized entire small groups to come alongside those families. We organized small groups to, or, to provide meals, to run errands, to help with tutoring, to transport kids to home visits or counseling appointments, to create goodie bags for long court days, a host of other things. Along the way, we realized it's not just the kids who are in need, it's parents who struggle to care for their kids, has led their kids to foster care in the first place. So we began creating avenues aimed at helping those parents get help in a way that they could hopefully be reunited with their children. When that wasn't possible and a child was placed on a list to be adopted, we had families who were ready to do exactly that. We realized, like, the church is designed for this. Like, we are designed by the Father to the fatherless for this in a way that the government is not. Now, I want to be careful there because with great respect, I have great respect for the women and men who work in this area of our government long tireless, oftentimes lonely hours trying to care for these kids. And I guess that's just it. As the church, we want to tell these workers they are not alone. They're not alone. Like I remember that informational meeting and this woman from the State Department and she is just in tears and she says, what made you decide to do this? And I said, I didn't decide to do this. 
Like God decided these kids are valuable and we're just an expression of him. Like he gets all the credit for this. This is his doing. So we want, we want those workers in the government. We want kids, their parents to know that God is with them. And we want to be his hands and feet toward that end in any way we can. So there are so many opportunities, parts to play in this here and around the world. Like I think about, so Heather and I, uh, we adopted from Kazakhstan and China. We at one point were start, had started an adoption process from Nepal. We were heartbroken when it fell through at the last minute. The country closed for adoptions after a long time in that process. Totally discouraged, but we knew, we knew God had put that country on our heart for a reason. So we started working with, giving to a ministry in that country that's helping children all over that country. So our plan was to adopt one little girl from that country. God used our plans to lead us to care for multitudes of little girls and boys across that country. I, I guess the point is, you can be sure of this. When we take seriously, like each of us individually and all of us together as a church take seriously caring for orphans and vulnerable children, we will have the backing of Almighty God because he is the father to the fatherless. I, I was thinking about this last week. We were talking about Korea, right? I was reminded, Compassion International and World Vision. Have you heard of those organizations? They both started because individual men got a heart for orphans and vulnerable children when they were in Korea. And today... Because of what a couple of individuals started, there are billions of dollars going every year to help millions of children around the world. And I think about Naomi and Dr. Z here in our church. We've talked about them. They get a heart for orphans in Ethiopia. They start leading our church's efforts there in a way that a year ago, so a year ago, three to five kids were dying in that government orphanage every single week, three to five kids. And now over the last six months, only one child has died because of what God did in the hearts of a couple. In, in this church. And I, I want you to be encouraged. Like there are literally tens of thousands of children right now through the way you give on an ongoing basis who are being cared for in all kinds of different ways. And not just in Ethiopia, down in uh, different parts of Latin America, like we are a part of and you've gone to different places in the world. And I just want to encourage us to press in all the more, realizing, so this is the point. The gospel is not just the solution to our crisis. See it, see it. The gospel is actually the solution to the orphan crisis. You've got to see, this is huge. Follow this. When men and women, separated from God, by sin, are pursued and adopted by God as his children. We receive his love, a love that transforms our lives, our families. We are now compelled, uniquely compelled, to show that kind of love in a world where so many other kids are in need. So this, this is where I want us to see that the greatest kind of care for orphans and vulnerable children is distinctly driven by the gospel. So this is not just mere humanitarianism, altruism, or like trendy. So sometimes, and I, I say that because sometimes people start a process of adoption because they think it seems cool, trendy, attractive, based on something they saw maybe. And I've had this conversation, people just like, I mean, they're not saying it out loud, but this is basically what they're saying. They, they like the idea of having an adorable family picture with a cute child to send out in their Christmas card. Here's the problem with that. Like, what are you gonna do when the child you adopt or the child you foster in your home is not as cute as you were planning? What happens when that child has fetal alcohol syndrome and can't even sit still in your family picture without ha having a tantrum? What happens when that child's mom was addicted to crack cocaine and as a result, that child has permanent brain damage that affects their behavior for the rest of their life and their teenage years are a nightmare for them and for you and your family. 
What happens when the years that child has spent in an institutional orphanage or, or running, going from house to house to house cause them to not know how to even begin to receive love? So every time you show it, they resist it because they just don't know what to do with it. What, ha- what happens when the child you adopt or foster is dangerous? Like mere altruism won't help you in those circumstances. The gospel will. Because in the gospel, follow this, you know there was a day when you yourself were a child of wrath, filled with evil desires, unable to control your sinfulness. You were desperately in need of a savior who would love you through the depth of your wickedness and he did. And by his grace, he adopted you as his child. So now when you see a child who nobody else wants because nobody else can begin to handle some of the issues that are found there, you care for that child. Why? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. And all this talk of care for orphans and vulnerable children, we, we do not do this. We do not care for orphans and vulnerable children because we are rescuers. Like good altruistic people ought to be saviors for orphans and vulnerable children in greater Washington, D.C. and around the world. That is not what drives this. We are not rescuers, brothers and sisters. We care for orphans and vulnerable children because we are the rescued. We're the rescued. We're the ones who found ourselves in the mud and mire of sin and death with nothing in us to attract Jesus to us. And he reached down his hand and saved us. He pursued us. He adopted us. So now it makes sense for us to love the unlovable, to care for the uncontrollable. It makes sense for us to persevere through long hours and long days and long weeks and long years in the challenges that foster care and adoption might bring. I I don't want, I'm not intending to paint an unnecessarily hard picture here around the world, and some foster care and adoption process are, are smooth as can be for both a family and a child, but I know families, I'm picturing them in our church family right now who can testify this is not an easy path. I know kids who've grown up as orphans in difficult circumstances and adjusting to a new family has not been easy. So I suppose the point is, regardless of where we were born or what our family background is, we all need the gospel. Not one of us in this gathering today is a rescuer. Jesus is the rescuer. And we all need to be rescued by him. And when he rescues us, it changes everything in a world of orphans and vulnerable children. Because when you've been rescued by Christ, you now love very differently from the rest of this world. In the cross, you find power to love when it's not easy to love, when it costs financially, emotionally, physically, relationally to love. You love because you've been rescued. So you now hear the cries of children who are unable to sleep tonight because their stomachs are distended with hunger. You now hear the cries of babies shaking in addiction to cocaine in the arms of hospital workers all around the United States, including Virginia, Maryland, and the district. You hear them. You hear the cries of teenagers who are about to be put on the streets for a life of drugs, prostitution. You hear their cries and everything changes. So for me personally, I had read all the statistics and they're staggering. Thousands, millions of orphans and vulnerable children. As overwhelming as those numbers are though, they were still just numbers for me until we went to Kazakhstan and everything changed. We went to that orphanage and we saw children playing outside and we walked past the rooms inside and we heard them and all of a sudden those numbers on a page came alive in our hearts. We realized it was Caleb sleeping in one of those cribs. It was Caleb who was included in those numbers and they became real and personal, real quick. I didn't have number. I had a name now. And I, I learned that orphans are easier to not think about until you know their names. Until you 
see their faces and you hear their voices. They're easier to forget until you hold them in your arms. But once you do that, everything changes. And people of God, church family, God is calling us in his word to get to know their names. And this look into their faces and to listen to their voices and to hold them in our arms. Which is why I believe God is calling all of us individually and together to pray. Oh God, my Father, I will do whatever you call me to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. No matter how young or old we might be, to pray that and just see what God, the Father to the fatherless, does. So, I want to invite you to watch this story with me of a family who has walked and is now walking this journey. So, we are Clinton and Missy, and We've been going to McLean for about 10 years, and uh, we lived in Tyson's. I helped run a software business. And I did the marketing up until more recently, becoming a stay-at-home mom, foster mom. We started trying to seek fertility treatment, and um, literally it was just like each month something was wrong. I just had this idea in my head that within a year, you know, Missy would get pregnant and we'd start the family. When it didn't work out that way, it was like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong, like, is there something wrong? Um, We both came together and said, you know what? We're supposed to have a family, we believe. Um, If not, and that's the Lord's will, that is gonna be fine with us, but we think we're supposed to. Even in the midst of that, one of the hard things we went through is Missy got pregnant. And I can remember, I can remember her coming to me and saying, I think something's wrong. And I didn't know what to do. Um, Through that though, like, the Lord was so close to us um, through the miscarriage. Um, As far as how I used to think about foster care and adoption and folks that did that and were parents, I was like, they are heroes, they are awesome. I had a huge heart for them, but I never thought like, oh, that's my burden, that's something that I should be doing. So it wasn't until Missy came to me and opened my eyes up to saying, hey, we're not moving. We are standing still and we need to be moving. If we if we feel clear that God is moving us this way, but we're not doing anything active to either learn more about the process or um, or pursue anything because I mean we just didn't we just didn't we didn't know anything I remember at the time there were a few countries that we were sort of thinking about through that like Uganda was just like really put on my heart and we have never well at the time we had not set foot in Uganda let alone Africa and didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or where we were going to end up or where our kids were or were they born yet or all those different things like we like we really started to see the Lord move and guide us when we started to take action. You know, as it was becoming clear that the Lord was closing the door to Uganda, um, the next 
place that we felt the strongest about was actually foster care. Honestly, the more that we learned about foster care and kids in foster care, we started realizing that they're often um, overlooked or even seen as undesirable. And um, I mean, that's not Jesus's heart for them. And that's, um, it was becoming not our heart for them either. We just kept going through the time period, just waiting, knowing like I'm at work, I could get a phone call and it just life changes. And so um, we got a phone call last year. There was a, a baby girl um, at the hospital who was um, in need of care. And I mean, I'm trying to remember what details, you know, you get this phone call, you're trying to like learn details, but at the same time you're, um, you know, you're also trying to like pray as you're like listening. <laughs> Like, Lord, Lord, just guide my steps. But I mean, I don't even know how many details we, we knew. And we just said, yes. And two hours later, it was probably 7.30, 8 o'clock that night, we were, you know, suddenly parents and um, of a two-month-old. Two you know, we were doing the night shift that night. Like, <laughs> life completely changed for us. And, uh, you know, we're working with the county through it. We have... Uh, Placement workers are in our house on a monthly basis, social workers, court cases. It's, that's foster care. So um, after we had our daughter for a few months, we got a surprise call that her biological brother, who was already in foster care, was in need of a home and they wanted to get the, f the family together. They wanted brother and sister to grow up together. So uh, they actually called us and said, hey, would you be willing? And we're like, yes. We became parents shortly thereafter of a three-year-old which was a whole nother experience to learn what it's like to get thrown into being a parent of a three-year-old. We're just a normal couple and God had a, um, put the desire in our heart to have a family and um, you know we had a plan for that and he had a much different and so much better plan. We can now look back and say infertility was actually a blessing in our life because um, if not he would have never led us to the kids. Um, that we have right now. And um, I just can't even imagine. So like, you know, through hardship and struggle, like God is good and he's good. He's good through all of it. Um, and he's with us through all of it. So that's one story of God's leadership. And I just can't help to wonder how many other stories he is weaving together. And my only hesitation in that story, because it's, it's similar to mine and Heather's, is for us not to think, okay, so adoption or foster care is for those who can't have children biologically or who struggle with infertility. Like, that's, that's not what the Bible says. So I praise God for that difficult road in our family's journey and their family's journey that led to this, uh, but that's not the only way to get to, to this. So here's what I want to invite you to do. You received, hopefully when you came in, that card with Stan Sunday on the back of it. There's seven days of prayer that I want to call us as a church to pray specifically for orphans and vulnerable children over the next week and for whatever part God want us to play in this. So to pray just on a daily basis, God, my Father, I will do whatever you want me to do to care for these orphans, vulnerable children. What do you want me to do? And just see what he does. There's an informational meeting we're gonna have here in a couple of weeks. 
for information, so just to get the right idea, you come to this meeting, it doesn't mean that you'll be walking away with a child or multiple children. And this is a meeting that's coming, you're coming to to say, okay, maybe or adoption, what would that look like? Maybe foster care, what would that look like? Or maybe support for families who are adopting or doing foster care. Like, like how many families would love to be on a list to sign up to bring uh, Pampers over on the night that a family like that gets a call? Say, we're there to help. So a team that support, I mean, there's just so many different ways this could play out. So here's what I want to invite us to do right now. I, uh, uh, there, there was, uh, during our time this summer in Ethiopia, one of our members who wrote uh, a song and Thomas put music to it that uh, just depicted some of the thoughts and emotions serving kids in the orphanage there. And I asked Thomas if he'd be willing to just to lead us in that and to lead us really in a time of prayer. So I want to invite you to just to look at the lyrics here, but let them drive you to prayer. As you just say where you are, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Are you calling me, us to adopt, to foster, to care in any number of ways? Thank you for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. We are so grateful for your emails, comments, and reviews on iTunes, letting us know how much you appreciate this podcast. And if you would like to watch today's full sermon or even download the free discussion questions, you can do all of that and so much more at our website. Just go to Radical.net. You'll see a search bar at the top, and you can type in any number of topics, authors, articles, or even the title of today's sermon. We hope you will take full advantage of Radical.net. And while you are there, be sure to download the free resource from David Platt that's recently released called 12 Traits, Embracing God's Design for the Church. In this brand new downloadable resource, David Platt highlights 12 traits from God's Word that should characterize every church, like preaching and teaching, evangelism, prayer, giving, membership, worship, and mission to name a few and you can go right to that resource by visiting radical.net forward slash 12 traits that's the number one two traits well i'm your host thomas bowen and until next time join us there at radical.net